Welcome to another edition of the Work Life Hub podcast. To find out more and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.eu. Welcome to our listeners to the new episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. This is your host Agnes and today I'm joined by Eric Isle. Hello Eric. Hello Agnes, thank you very much for having me. Eric is a writer, a speaker, a coach, a consultant, a DJ and a corporate survival guy. And I just would like to ask you um, to tell us a little bit how you got here where you are now, your company, your consulting, and what are generally the things that you're doing for people? Sure, absolutely. Well, what I'm, what I'm trying to do right now is to help working people integrate their work with a meaningful, fun, and fulfilling life so that they can keep their heads and their hearts while keeping their jobs. Uh, and I do that through my writing, through speaking, through coaching individuals, through consulting with organizations, as well as through, I think, my DJing and storytelling as well. Um, and it's been, it's been a, a, a few years in the making, and, uh, and I think I got here the way that, the way that a lot of people um, get to their mission, which is by a lot of trial and error and mistakes and missteps. I, uh, I, I have worked in large corporate organizations for many, many, many years. Uh, I grew up working for one of the largest corporations in the world, the General Electric, and... Uh, and I learned a great deal working in those organizations. And the more I worked in those organizations, the more I started thinking about this relationship between the work that we do 40, 50, 60 hours a week and the people that we are. And so uh, that led me sort of on this, on this mission to, to kind of focus in on helping other people uh, find how to integrate who they really are the work that they're doing and vice versa. Um, so that's the that's sort of the short story of how I got there. Well, thank you. And um, I heard uh, as I watched uh, one of your gigs that you're doing uh, on YouTube, and it was a mashup, I would say, between a talk and DJing gig, um, where you say something that really struck me is you say what happens when people realize that there's an uneven value exchange where you give more than you get back. And, and I thought that was, you know, said with such clarity, because I guess that's the big problem of, of overwork, right? That we just put in so much work, so much effort into our work, and, and there's just nothing else, you know, no time for, for nothing else left. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think it's, it's sometimes hard to put our fingers on what that thing is. And the idea of the value exchange to me is a, is a very simple one, which is that when we work, we are giving more than just our time. We're we're giving full space and physical space and energy uh, to this effort uh, in exchange for which we get value, typically in the form of a paycheck and maybe health benefits and those sorts of things. Uh, but we're also we're also creating value in that process, either within the organization or within whatever work we do. And uh, and we, if there's an uneven exchange of value, where I think we start, it's one of the places where we start to feel stressed and out of balance, if you will. And is that uh, mostly uh, why people come to you to help them? Yeah, I, I think, I think that's, that's one of the reasons. Um, you know, I've, I, I work with people who, um, you know, on, on, 
on one end of the spectrum are the people who feel like they are working too much and not paying enough attention to who they truly are. And on the other end of the spectrum are people who feel like they should be achieving more work and more and art. And uh, so, so I get people within, within that, that broad spectrum. And I think, you know, often what it, what it comes down to for folks is, um, you know, this, you know, the, the talk you watched, which is called um, life is a mashup. The idea that work and life are not these separate things. And I know, I know you talk about this and I know a lot of your guests have talked about this, you know, but th this idea of our work and our life being, uh, not just integrated, but aligned uh, somewhere is something that I think uh, people people are are striving for, and you know it's about this idea of our whole selves to work. Um, it's about feeling like we're we're human at work, um, and it's about the ability to kind of manage our energy, to be flexible and adaptable, and to have some sense of agency in our lives. Now you you have um, a lot of very interesting and valuable blog entries on your on your website, and we will remind people listening uh, in a while for your website what it is and where they can go to. And then you also have an ebook which is about this idea, your theory of the life mashup. And there you have also three steps for for achieving this this alignment between who we are and what we want to do and and how to. F to live this fulfilling life. Do you want to just take us through these steps or yes, or entry points in, into this? Yeah, abso absolutely. Happy to. Yeah. So, so, and I, and, and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm constantly sort of expanding on this, on this idea as I, as I work with more people and, and refine my thoughts on this and, and do more research. Um, for me, for me, the idea of, of making your life a mashup, um, is, is guided by, uh, these sort of five principles, and then uh, I now have it as seven steps mm -hmm. as opposed to three because I think I think it's more realistic. But but the, but those five guiding principles are, um, and I just alluded to them. But the but the idea of bringing your whole self to work, right? This is about this is about not just about feeling like you are who you are when you're working, uh, but but also that you are bringing all of your expertise and experience and eccentricity to your work and to your family and to your community. Um, so that's principle number one. Principle number two is about nurturing your sense of human. Um, that is in part about the really the, the great importance, in my opinion, of humor uh, in our work and in our lives. Humor is one of those things that connects us um, and allows us to start to feel trust and start to feel connection with people. And, uh, and we, we have to remind ourselves, I think, quite a bit when we're working that work is about humans serving humans. Um, we are all employees, but we are all humans. We are all customers, but we're all humans. Um, so that idea of nurturing your sense of human is the second principle. The third one, um, I really um, borrowed from uh, Tony Schwartz and the Energy Project. Um, and you know, this idea of managing your energy, not your time, I think is a, is a really critical uh, concept that they've brought forward. Right, which is to say that you know we all have the same amount of time, um, but what we but what we need to focus on is this sort of strategic expenditure and renewal of energy. And one of the things that Tony Schwartz has really, um, I think, done a great job of articulating is the importance of having rituals that renew our energy. Um, so that's an important part of this of this uh, of making your life a mashup. Fourth principle is about being flexible and adaptable. 
I think I think our workplaces ask us to be flexible all the time, uh, but that flexibility has to go in both directions. We have to be able to be flexible as employees in an organization, and we need to expect flexibility out of organizations as well. And the ability to flex and adapt, you know, I mean, it's an old saying that if you don't bend, you break. And uh, so that, that idea of flexibility is really important. And then the fifth principle is this idea of insisting on your own agency, self-efficacy. This is, this is about uh, not feeling like a victim, not feeling like things happen to you, but instead feeling like things happen for you. And I, I, think, I think this idea of, of taking charge of our own careers, of taking charge of designing our lives um, is something that is often overlooked. So those five principles then give way to this, these really seven very simple steps. It's not, it's not groundbreaking, but it's important to have some, some idea of a sequence of events. Um, and the, the, the first step, as, as in any sort of personal development, is to, is to craft a clear vision of what your life is going to look like and feel like and smell like and taste like uh, when when you've, when you've designed it the way you want to. And, and really, I, I think it's important, I, you know, I say that sort of glibly, but, but that sense of all the five senses being involved, I think, is important that we need to be able to feel what that life is like and then figure out what the gaps are between that vision and where we are today and not try to, not try to plug all those gaps at once. I think so many of us want to just you know, overhaul our lives all, all at once and instead you know, I really, I really look at, you know, identify gaps and pick a couple, um, to, to work on first. And then, um, I like the idea. Um, I like Stu Friedman's idea of the four way wins. Um, I call it identifying win, 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 win opportunities, right? These, these, you know, what are these things you can do in your life? These little changes you can make, these little tweaks, um, that might benefit more than one area. Um, you know, as, as you, you've talked about in the past, you know, this idea of work-life balance implies trade-offs, but instead, if we look for synergy, if we look for ways that we can make small changes that benefit our family and our, and our work, for example, um, that's where the real power is. And I, I tell the story in that talk that, that, that you saw about wanting to become a DJ early on, wanting to become a DJ, but also wanting to spend time with my daughter. Um, and those, you know, it's easy to say, well, which do I choose? And instead I, I said, well, what if I, what if my daughter and I sort of learned to DJ together? Yeah, great. What if I taught her while I, I was learning? And, um, that's just a really simple, you know, example of, of a win-win, right? Um, so that's, so that's the, sort of the third step. The fourth step is really just, you know, design the experiment. So in that case, I said, well, you know, how can my daughter and I have time together where we are focusing on DJing? Um, this was when she was much younger today. She doesn't care at all, but, but it, but it may, it may, it may come back, but, uh, but, you know, design an experiment, try it out, run it by the people who are going to be affected by it. You know, run it by your coworkers, your boss, your significant other, your children. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the thing about it is, you know, approaching it as an experiment is I think really an important, uh, mindset to have when you're trying to design your life because, uh, it's too easy to say, well, I tried that and it didn't work. Um, and it, therefore, you know, I sort of failed. <laughs> and the idea of an experiment is that there is no failure in, in experimentation, right? There's only learning and doing something with what you've gotten out of that experiment. So that leads you kind of to this next step of fine tuning. Obviously, the thing you tried wasn't perfect coming out of the gate. So fine tune it, make it better, and then uh, make it a habit. 
Uh, that's sort of step number six, making it a habit, making that new little tweak that you made in your life something that you do every day. Um, you know, I think it was Gretchen Rubin uh, who said, what we do every day matters more than what we do occasionally. And, uh, and so t- turning that new little tweak that you made into something that's a, that's a habit is really important. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, in B.J. Fogg's idea of tiny habits. Um, B.J. Fogg's idea of tiny habits is that you take something that you're already doing and you hook a new behavior to it. Uh, the, the great example that, that he gives that I just love is that he wanted to get more fit. Well, that's not something you can make a habit out of. So it, he decided that instead, every time he went to the bathroom, he would do two push-ups. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it's, and it's absurd, right? It's, it's, it's absolutely absurd. But it makes sense. You're going to go to the bathroom. That's going to happen. So if you do that, you're going to do two push-ups. Maybe not in the bathroom, by the way. It just depends on, on your the size. own sense of... It depends of, on the of, size of your bathroom, I think. <laughs> the, size, the size and the sanitation. So, um, so, so you want to be careful about it. But, but, but what I love about it is he, you know, what he found is that you know, today, years later, he has no idea how many push-ups he does. You know, once you're doing two push-ups, you're not going to just do two push-ups. You're going to do a few. Uh, but by doing that, he made it a habit to, to do these push-ups because he tied it to something that he was already doing. And I think for so many of us when we're trying to make something a habit, the mistake we make is to try to weld a new habit onto our lives wholesale um, and not connect it to something that we're already doing. Um, so, so making it a habit is the, is the sixth thing. And then really the seventh step, which is hardly a step at all, is to reevaluate, look back at those gaps and figure out what the next one is that you want to accomplish, just making incremental improvements. Um, you know, I think we have a... In, in, our, in our lives, we have this, this romance of, of revolution in our lives, of just changing things uh, drastically. And I find, that working with clients, I find that that doesn't tend to work for people. And it tends to be discouraging when you're not making progress. So making incremental improvements step by step uh, is, is much more likely to be sustainable than trying a big improvement and then failing and never trying again. Well, thank you so much for sharing this because I think that it... It's, it's a great way and very systematized and, and it's also very approachable. And I think that we all have, because time is such a strange, you know, construct and we always have this, you know, this kind of idea, okay, this Wednesday is just going to be perfect. You know, I'm going to exercise, <laughs> I'm going to eat right, I'm going to play with my children, I'm going to do, you know, quality work and, and then, you know, just... just you know, spend an hour on Facebook or whatever, and then the whole thing just goes out right. the window. And and I think that it's it's very difficult to, you know, not do it as you say, you know, in big chunks. You know, change everything all at once on a Monday, but then also have have a proper time frame of of when are you going to become this new you, and and what yeah. what do you say to your clients? What would be like a, a an average? let's say, time frame for, for, for implementing these steps? Oh, you know, that's, that's a really interesting question. And, and of course, like all good questions, the answer is it depends. Mm. Um, but, but, I, but I do think, you know, we, it, it, it requires patience and perseverance. Uh, I think, and I, I, I'm not sure that it's something that's ever done uh, you know, uh, I know, I know there's a lot of discussion in, in our circles about this con- the, you know, the, even the term work life balance yeah. and this idea that it's some state that you achieve at some point. And, uh, 
And I had a good friend of mine, we were talking about this, and she said, well, what if you thought of work-life balance as a verb? <laughs> and uh, that changed my thinking forever. So now I'm totally comfortable with the idea of work-life balance as long as we realize that it's an activity, it's a thing that we do, and uh, not a state that you achieve. Uh, and, so, and so the idea of achieving work-life balance is, 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 is dangerous, I think, because then we, we're, we're always thinking, well, when am I going to get there? Yeah. And it's a bit, it's a bit like Nirvana, totally, right? You're not yes, going to get yes. there, actually. And, <laughs> and you're so, not supposed and so to. instead, and you're you know, not even supposed to. Yeah. And you're not. That's exactly right. It's like parallel lines that never meet, right? And uh, um, the so so the idea of uh, of you know how long does it take? You know, when I work with clients, I I you know I talk in terms of like when is it going to feel better? Mm. When is it going to feel like it's improved? Um, and and you know, in in some cases, that that is. I, I believe in quick work. So when I work with coaching clients, for example, I sign people up for two months. And we try to scope something out that we can do together in those eight weeks and really feel like we've accomplished something. I don't believe in signing people up for sort of uh, you know, indefinite period of coaching. Um, now, at the end of those eight weeks, you might say, well, I'm ready to move on to the next thing, um, which is fantastic. But you know, I believe that in, that in a couple of months, you can, you can make an improvement that you can feel. Mm. Now, you mentioned two other things that really struck a chord. Um, the one was about um, eccentricity. And I mean, you <laughs> cannot deny that when people see you, they do think that you're quite eccentric. <laughs> That's um, right. And, and, and it feels quite always strange when you say that they're used to work, you know, so and so many years in corporate America. Um, did did mm -hmm. you feel that? there you weren't allowed to be your true self you weren't allowed to be a dj and was that partly what motivated you and 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 how do you um advise people who who work in a very formalized you know place where, i mean there's a, there are very strict and strong norms you know professional norms so even if you know people feel a bit eccentric or they have some of that side to them can they take a risk? Can they bring that? Can they really bring their whole selves to work? Yeah. So you know that that's a it's a great question, and and I, I work with a lot of folks on that, and it I, it comes back to this idea of insisting on agency and and self efficacy. My experience personally was uh, when I first started working in the corporate world, I I felt and absorbed this idea that I had to look a certain way and dress a certain way and behave a certain way. And, and over time I started to feel like that was causing me to disengage from my work and to feel, uh, less motivated in my work and to perform, uh, less well in my work. And I think that's true for all of us. When we feel like we're not being true to ourselves, then we're actually not bringing as much value to work. And what, what I find is that we tend to assume more limitations than actually mm. exist. Um, so, so uh, you know, we, we, I've, I've was working with a client recently who uh, is this very driven, very talented professional. And she also happens to love tattoos. And she has these, these beautiful tattoos. And she was telling me about, well, you know, but of course when I go to work, I have to cover yeah. them up. And, and I said, well, how does that make you feel? <laughs> um, it's it's such a it's such a, a clear you know idea of hiding yourself, um, and and she was you know she she didn't love it and and I said well what makes you feel that you have to what would happen if you didn't hide those tattoos what would happen if you let yourself be a little weird at work um, 
And, you know, I, I always say, like, you know, performance comes first. You have to have to kick ass at your job. Mm. You, you have to be great. You have to be great at your job. And then if you're great at your job, you earn all sorts of indulgences. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and one of those indulgences is to, is to be yourself. And what's, what's great about that is it's a reinforcing loop. It's a, it's a virtuous cycle uh, that when you, when you do great work and then you feel more like yourself at work, then when you feel more like yourself at work, you do better work. And uh, so, so I have found over time that the more I embrace my own eccentricities, the better work I do. Mm-hmm. And that's true with, you know, I work with a number of corporate clients. And uh, part, of, part of the appeal bringing me in is that I am, I am, I am uh, outwardly weird. <laughs> um, we're all... We're all inwardly weird, right? I've just manifested it on the outside, um, but and 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 that's you know and that's and that's part of the point, right? Is that is that we we've all got a little bit of weirdness. We've all got our eccentricities, and if we're if we're feeling like we have to hide them and and not bring them to work, then we're bringing a little less than our whole selves to the task at hand. That's great. So after every successful project, you the lady can wear. A little shorter sleeve, <laughs> but and after, right. after it's just you know her whole arms can be outside. But I totally agree, and and I can really see this. Um, for example, with tattoos or with music, um, I know people who have music on the side, and still they're not comfortable with you know saying that. Well, tomorrow I'm going to be later because I was just in a concert and playing, and I'm going to be tired. But then that will re-energize me. And it will really give right. me, you know, this energy to be even better at work. And I, I totally love that. And then the other thing I wanted to ask you, because you were, you, of course, you mentioned humor. And, and I think we're having a good time in this conversation already. <laughs> is that um, one of the previous podcast guests, Erin, um, she said the key to have, you know, crafting your life or having a good work-life balance or, or, or having the life you want is having a lot of uncomfortable awkward conversations and that's you you alluded to that a little bit because you say that you know we perceive that we have more barriers or you know more limits than we actually do and i think that humor and being yourself being authentic is such an important part of of having these honest conversations where you can actually say well listen maybe i could just work these hours or those days but then i'm gonna bring all of myself and and as you say, kick ass, because I will have the other parts yeah. where I can just really recharge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's, where, that's where I think, you know, we're, we're in a really exciting, I think, time right now. I think there's, all, there, we're, you know, there's so many of us talking about these issues and organizations. I mean, you know, I have organizations that come to me and say, well, how can we, how can we create this kind of environment? for our employees. So organizations are starting to think about what they can do and they're thinking beyond the idea of just, you know, flexible work arrangements or remote work or work from home, which are important ingredients but not the whole picture. Um, they're really starting to think about how can we how can we create a workplace where people can be themselves and and do great work together. And I think we're at a really exciting time because uh, because technology enables it, because people are talking about it, because um, you know the the new you know the the newest generation coming into the workforce is more insistent about it, 
and uh, and all of these things are are coming together into this sort of perfect storm of of what I think is going to change the future of work. That's great. I mean, so do we. We also feel as a kind of a wave coming, and and there are the early adopters who are already you know going for it and fully embracing it, and hopefully it will spread um, like a domino from organization to organization. Right. Now, maybe two more questions, um, because time is running. Uh, one, sure. one is that I just wanted to ask you about your DJ name. Uh, how, sure. Is that yeah. also a mashup? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so my, my DJ name uh, is DJ Savior Breath. And, uh, and honestly, that it, it, the, the name originally came from when I first started DJing. I wanted to have a DJ name. I didn't want to be DJ Eric Isle. That sounded boring. Um, and, uh, and so uh, I just, I love puns. I'm, I'm, I'm hopelessly in love with, with dumb puns. And so I loved the idea of savior breath. And, uh, and then when I started DJing and, and, and got more into it, I thought, well, I also want to have this person named DJ Savior Breath should be a different, uh, should have a persona, should have a, uh, some theatricality to it. So, um, so the Savior Breath thing uh, led me to this sort of papal, bishopy, cardinally kind of costume that I wear, um, which is just intended for theatricality. It's intended to be uh, irreverent but not disrespectful um, and intended to just just to kind of shake people out of what they expect, you know, when they, when they go to see a DJ. Um, when they go to see a DJ, you expect to see kind of a cool guy with a snapback cap, you know, and I'm not a cool guy. <laughs> um, I, I, am, I am a ridiculous person. And, uh, and I, I feel like, you know, by bringing that, I encourage people to, um, to be ridiculous themselves. Um, and yeah, and, and DJ Save Your Breath does um, play mashups. That's what, I, that's what I do when I'm DJ Save Your Breath is I play mashups. And I just love the mashup uh, as a metaphor for this for this concept that we're talking about, right? Which is, you know, with a mashup, you take two or more songs and you put them together in a way in which they are harmonically connected and rhythmically connected, and they create something that's that's new and exciting, but also kind of familiar. And uh, and that's that's what I think we're trying to do with our with sort of designing our lives is is combine these different aspects of who we are um, to create something that's new and exciting to us. Thank you very much for sharing this with us. And uh, I mean, the it's it's so clear to see what that it brings, uh, you know, to your work. And I just also want to encourage everybody to go and listen to your to your songs on SoundCloud um, <laughs> thank you. I just wanted to, uh, do you want to remind maybe people of your website and where they can find you? And then I will ask you our last question. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So my, my website, uh, is ericisle.com and you'll have that in the show notes so people can get the spelling right, but it's E-R-Y-C-E-Y-L. Uh, so two Y's in there, E-R-Y-C-E-Y-L, uh, ericisle.com, uh, corporate survival guide.com. Uh, I think we'll also get you there. Um, and you can also find me at notsafeforworknsfw.com, which is another book that I wrote. Now, we ask, um, always ask the, the last question that we ask to our podcast guests is always the same. Um, and that is, mm -hmm. if you could give one advice to a CEO of a company to 
bring about this change, this culture change, this mentality change, make the work environment more welcoming of, of people to bring their whole selves to work, uh, where could they start? What would be your advice, Eric? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. And I always love listening to the responses you get. Uh, for me, for me the, the advice to leaders is be yourself. Bring your whole self to work. Um, and, and what that looks like is, is um, you know, if you, if you find yourself excessively using corporate speak, check why you're doing that. And is that, is that being true to yourself? Um, do you behave with your employees the way that you behave with your family or your friends? Um, and, and really examining, you know, just for yourself, are you bringing your whole self to work? And if not, what's getting in the way? Lead by example. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. Well, I really, really enjoyed talking to you, Eric. Looking forward to reading then Likewise. perhaps an updated version of your um, the the mashup uh, book or ebook with with these seven steps and the five principles. And thanks so much for sharing that with us so generously in, in such a great detail. It's my pleasure. It's great to talk to you, Agnes. Thanks for having me on.